listening to the stupid cancer show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Nothing is anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chips stuff. Monday, July 8th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Ask Us Anything. We're taking your calls. It's time to open our phone banks for the first time and host the inaugural open mic night for the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes, it's true. We'll be taking your calls all night and hopefully answering any and all questions you might have about anything and everything. No holds barred. Seriously. We're hoping for a great show from our many friends and fans from across the globe and on the web. Nancy Gulker is in the Survivor Spotlight. Let the games begin. All right, Annie. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. All right, and a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Stupid Cancer Show as we come to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City, and newly tweeting from at... Stupid Cancer Show. No, we no. are not. No? no. We you are failed. tweeting from at Chemo Deck. Heck, I thought we switched it back. You broke at it. Chemo Deck. It's been Chemo Deck the whole time. How did I break it? You broke tweet it. Tweet us at Chemo Deck. All right. At Chemo Deck. All right. Tweet us at Chemo Deck. I failed. Okay. I have failed miserably. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> Sorry, we'll take all Bye. the calls on Yes. Hello, right. Maureen. Hello. How are you? How are you? Hello, Kenny. Hello. And you are... Annie. <laughs> Have we met? Yeah. I don't know. You look familiar. Yeah. It's the hair. It's grown back. It's, yeah, it's a little different now. Yeah, so the reasoning behind the, the handle is we are broadcasting from the chemo deck. Right. But when people are interacting with it, they will see the Stupid Cancer Show or just Stupid Cancer Show. Oh. So they're not interacting with the so chemo deck itself. So it's chemo deck. Correct. Correct. Yep. They're so sending a message to the from. chemo deck. But the name is Stupid Cancer Show, Correct. but it's at chemo deck. Correct. Correct. Yes. Aha. 
Just like I'm at Annie I'm at Annie G nine one seven, but I'm Annie Goodman. But your name is an Annie G nine one seven. Exactly. You have like an AOL screen name as a Twitter. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Annie Goodman wasn't available. Oh well. Kenny Kane is. You actually got Kenny Kane on Twitter because on Facebook it's a a wrestler, right, or something. No, there's a rapper. Rapper. uh, And there's a comedian, but I have on. 99.9% 99.9% of the platforms, Kenny Kane. Got it. So, And there's um, a Matthew Zachary porn novelist. Yeah, oh, he's, he's, he's a, a graphic... Uh, <laughs> pretty. Uh, it, it, he's not a graphic novelist, but it's, they're very, they're very graphic. They're very graphic homoerotic novels. Yeah. Yeah. Written by a Matthew Zachary. Yes. Sexy. Yes, I wonder what his Twitter handle is. Mm-hmm. No. Like, he might be at Matthew Zachary, he but wants I'm to, not. He wants thing. to show you his Twitter handle. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. That's not okay. Okay. Well, anyway, your assignments for tonight, uh, our uh, little chit-chat here in the, in the uh, mm-hmm. top of the show, is to tell me what you did on your five-day vacation since last Friday. Was that all it was? Is that a trick question? Oh, I just had four days. No, it's a real five. question. Friday, well, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today, Monday, is your first day back. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. am I going first? Yeah, yeah. Going first. Maureen, you had the most interesting Instagrams of the weekend. I did so. a whole lot of stuff. I had a very eclectic weekend. I'll try to synopsize quickly. But I just I, know about Star Wars. That's about all. And some newer Beacon Bridge. Uh, there was no Star Wars involved. I went to, um, I don't know where that came from. I thought, didn't you go to Lincoln Center? Oh, that. Oh, there was. Okay. See? So all right. I'm not crazy. <laughs> so let me recap. I went to the beach on Long Island on 4th of July proper. I did the whole beach Go Long barbecue, Island. Yeah. Barbecue fireworks. Shtick. So that was fun. Um, Friday and most of Saturday were bedroom renovations, so that's not even exciting. But Saturday night, I went to the New York Philharmonic. I got to see Holst's The Planets, accompanied yep. by uh, footage from NASA, which was really cool. Super cool. And they did do they did an encore um, after the performance of John Williams' uh, Imperial March, which was really great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then Sunday, I went hiking up at Breakneck Ridge, which is north towards Poughkeepsie from here, um, and had a really great time. I climbed up a lot of rocks, more rocks this than I was anticipating. Does familiar? Are you, are you playing the Imperial March while I talk about my weekend? Oh, it's Mars! I almost cried during Mars. It was so good. Mars is my favorite one. <laughs> Jupiter is my favorite. But you think Mars, so? Jupiter is my favorite uh, movement, but the Mars footage was better because I had all that stuff from Curiosity, yes. which is great. Which is super cool. Mm-hmm. All right, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you because I was YouTubing. Yeah, and I went, I went hiking and mountain-ish climbing on Sunday. Near? near in Breakneck Ridge, near wow. Beacon. Near and how'd you get up there? Metro North Regional Rail. There's a special stop twice a day on weekends. Wow. Um, at the actual like trailhead. So that was yeah, it was great. Oh, no very driving, nice. No driving required. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And Kenny, you uh, you went down to uh, Maryland. I was, I was in the uh, the middle of nowhere, Maryland. Yes. Literally, isn't it called like Boonesboro or something? It is. <laughs> it's actually called Boonesboro. I was in the boonies, uh, hanging out with, uh, I guess the the other half, and uh, had a great weekend. Spent a lot of time in the pool. Uh, did a lot of back floating, and uh, a lot of alcohol ingesting. So I was on par with my Tuesday night. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. how is this any different than any no, other weekend just, you have? It's just the name of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And Annie, you. So I'm very lucky to work in the television news business. So I I got one day off. I was Yay. off on Thursday. Yay! So I worked late Wednesday evening to have off on Thursday, and I just you know hung out, 
in the city, saw some friends, and uh, had some dinner, sat outside, sweat a lot, because it was about 8,000% humidity and 110 degrees, and uh, worked on Friday, and just had a regular weekend. That's it? I don't mean that to be a bummer, because I've worked like every July 4th ever. Oh, and I must say, I love the hot dog eating contest. At the Nathan's one at Coney Island. Were you there? Yeah, Joey no, Chestnut won I again sh- this oh, year. Oh, of Joey course. Chestnut is like, he's an American hero. <laughs> so <laughs> I, no, you know what? I should have gone this year. There were 40,000 people Wow. who yep. go to it. So I watched it on television, and I loved every second of it because they announced the people as they come out. It's like WWE style. And they, <laughs> nice. And they are... Announce like what they're winners of. So like people will be like the oyster eating champion, and they say how many oysters they eat, and it's like a disgusting amount. And they now, you know, some people will be like the birthday cake eating champion. They eat like eight pounds of birthday cake. So the highlight of my day was watching the hot dog eating contest. I absolutely love it. Joey Chestnut ate sixty nine. I was gonna say I knew it was up he there. He had sixty eight last year, sixty nine this year. His goal is seventy. I was cheering for him, but that you know that's a pretty intense goal. But the big drama is he, like, wins every year by, like, 15 hot dogs because the Kobayashi Japanese guy doesn't participate because he right. won't join. I guess it's kind of almost like a union. Like, what? Yeah, I know there's been a like, lot of drama. There's a lot him. of drama because Kobayashi is a Japanese guy who, who won for years who, before Joey yeah, Chestnut. Joey Chestnut beat him. So there's almost like a like – a, Union, like this, the world eating governing body, he does not want to join it because it limits your uh, endorsement deals and things like that. So he won't join. So he participated. He did like his own hot dog eating contest in the city somewhere or somewhere in New York, and he had 67. Oh, wow. So we need to get like a draft Kobe to get him back to make it a real competition next year. Yeah. How many times a year do you think he does that? Obviously. They okay, so they're competitive eaters like all the time. That's like their gig. Mm-hmm. But they don't always do hot dogs. Like okay, so working in TV, we've had uh, got you know Joey a Chestnut. Lot about this. I'm, I'm really obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed. It's kind of embarrassing. Joey Chestnut came. They brought him out in a float. <laughs> And it was, mustard, it was mustard yellow. I can hear and the he John Philip Sousa march. Kidding. He holds up the belt, the mustard belt, as he comes up. And um, everyone freaks out because he's Joey Chestnut. He is a celebrity. And um, they announced, like, their height, weight, all the, everything they went. So when he was, when you know, the network I worked for when we had him on, we put, like, a plate of hot dogs in front of him. And he was basically like, get those things away from me. <laughs> and um, he had, his next competition was pizza. Oh. So they eat, like, different... Amazingly, the guy looks fit. He, he looks He's like, like average Joe. He's, like, one and, like, like, 210 pounds. So, you know, he's not, like, super lean, but he's... You would think... It a comp- most competitive eaters are not Wait, heavy. so why didn't you go again? Because I just didn't think about it. But you know what? It's almost more fun just, like, watching on TV. And you, it's, yeah, you can't dogs. see anything when you're there, I No, bet. you can't. Especially when there's 40,000 people there. But anyway, the best part is like the, they have like these, um, like the pregame stuff, and they said the reason why he's so good, they, his nickname is Jaws, and the reason why he's so good is he has like an abnormal mouth and no gag reflex. Can he unhinge his jaw? I bet he can. I don't know, but they like said like a reptile. No, but they said the strength. Was that your impression of a reptile? I just did an impression for they, all of you. He has like 
super strength jaw. That's why it's called Jaws. Wow. wow. He has a super strength, so he's able to, like, chomp it down faster, and his stomach stretches an insane amount. And he said that, so he did an interview with TMZ, and he said that he uh, was sweating meat. What? Oh, my goodness. Well, I always heard that the reason that skinny people win is because there's not much blocking them uh, from expanding their stomach. If, you, if yeah, you're like Matt and I, and you have a layer of fat, <laughs> uh, it's, it's more constrictive. There are biological barriers yes. to success. Exactly. Anyway, that was my July 4th. It was very exciting. <laughs> well, I'll just take 10 seconds. I actually had a vacation for the first time in probably four or five years, maybe, maybe since my honeymoon. Wow. Julia Mazel Claus, noise yeah. maker. Actually, that gets, one of these, that gets one of these because uh, that never really happened. That was a very, very rambunctious crowd there. <laughs> we were really excited about that. As your ears blew off your, your scalp. Anyway, yeah, I went to the beach, and I actually sat on the beach for three hours and did, did nothing but stare at my wife and Kobe sitting further down on the beach in the ocean, and Hannah and I played sandcastles. Nice. I was dad, unlike on, on vacation. It was nice. Anyway, we're going to get to our first guest here because I'm excited to have her on the show. Um, let's, uh, let's bring her on. Nancy... Beth Gulker was 41 when diagnosed with abnormal mammograms and uh, stage 1A IDCL breast cancer. Man, they get more complicated every day. During treatment, she never gave up the things she enjoyed, such as baking, watching college football, traveling, and playing with her rescued dog, Daisy. She recently celebrated 10 months in remission and is still baking, traveling, rooting for her FAU owls, and playing with her dog, Daisy. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Nancy Beth Gulker, Nancy. Hello. How are you? Hi. Good. How are you? You're the newest rock star in the stupid cancer universe. Nice. So, uh, where are you calling in from? I am calling in from Palm Bay, Florida. Oh, okay. I'm sure. That? I'm I have sure no idea. Booming metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the east coast, in between Vero and Cocoa Beach. So, okay, I, I still don't know. know what that means, but okay. An hour due east of Orlando. There we okay. go. All right. Anything you put Disneyland <laughs> yeah. or Disney World in, the, in, in in perspective, and then I I get it. How far is it from right. Disney or Boca? <laughs> right. Okay, about two hours north of Boca, about an hour east of Disney. I know exactly where you are now. <laughs> All right. Kenny's Google mapping it. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I can see your house. It's actually yeah. really nice. It is. It's nice here. Have you been there the whole time? I have not. I moved here about eight years ago from Miami. Oh, so you're you're a Flor you're a Floridian. As close to one as you can get. I was born in New York, but I moved here when I was seven, so I'm pretty much almost native. And of course, moving at the age of seven is not a conscious decision you can make because you were probably in tow with family. Right. I was moved here when I was seven. <laughs> it was not a runaway. Popped <laughs> exactly. on a train. I was seven. I was brought here when I was seven. <laughs> With her knapsack and the the the, the hobos, no, the, yeah, the little bag on the stick, yeah, the bag on the stick, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, exactly, and maybe okay. a can of yuzu. <laughs> so, so what, you're uh, ten months, so coming up on a one year cancer anniversary. Yes, I had my uh, one year mastectomy back in February, and um, I, yeah, I approved that one vocabulary. Mastectomy. Yes. <laughs> I celebrated it with boob-shaped cupcakes. So Ooh, really yummy. Nice. Yeah, hey, Did you, they were did good. you Instagram them? Um, no, I, I Facebooked them, though. Okay, good. As long as they but were I, put out there. 
Oh, they were put out there, absolutely. We were very proud of them. And so uh, I, will, I will celebrate my one-year uh, end of chemoversary, August 17th, and my one year of living with no evidence of disease on September 6th. Wow. Very cool. That's a good way to celebrate Labor Day. Yes, absolutely. So I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, you're really involved in the organization. You uh, have been very participatory in our events. You're very active in our groups on Facebook. And um, I thought it was great to just, you know, this show is all about the young adult cancer story and everything that goes around it. Every show we feature a young adult survivor like yourself, and we just like to hear your story. What was your life like when you were 40? Uh, and then, uh, you know, symptoms, treatments, you know, do you feel like you were treated like a piece of meat or a human being? We we love to hear these things. <laughs> All right. Well, I, um, I had my baseline mammogram when I was, I guess, 38, like I was supposed to around there. And then life got a little messy, and I wasn't able to have another one until... December of 2011, and uh, it was abnormal. And I was kind of shocked because I was obviously not expecting that. I had no symptoms, and even when I knew where my lump was, I still like couldn't really feel it. I had to kind of dig all around in there to feel it. I was uh, formally diagnosed over the phone, which was absolutely uh-huh. awesome, at work on a Friday afternoon when I had an appointment with my doctor Monday, but his partner Perfect. felt it necessary to call me on a Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock and tell me, you have cancer, it looks treatable, your doctor will discuss surgery options with you on Monday, have a good weekend. Wow. And, that was so uh, nice yeah, of them. Like, yeah, how, how, what now? What am I supposed to do? So, um, yeah, it was. I didn't know, at the time I thought, like, you got breast cancer, you just got breast cancer. I didn't know there was, like, numerous different kinds and stages and hormone positive or hormone negative or all of that stuff. I had no idea. So... I uh, I Googled, which was a big mistake. Dr. Googled. Um, yeah, I WebMD, Googled. I did all the stuff you're not supposed to do until you talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, my plastic surgeon was a friend from elementary school and really helped me navigate the breast cancer universe, which is very confusing. And I uh, came to find out I had stage 1A, which is good. It's bad to have cancer, but it's good to have stage 1A. It is very treatable. I was treated um, well, not like a piece of meat, actually. Um, I was treated well. I had a, decided on a bilateral mastectomy, even though the cancer was only in my left. I was able to have immediate reconstruction, so I left the hospital with boobs. And um, I thought I was done and then found out because of my uncle type score, which, once again, I knew nothing about, that I was going to need chemo. So I did six sessions of that and... Um, Fortunately, didn't need radiation. Started on the hormone suppression pills, but they totally changed my personality, and I, I against medical advice, I stopped those. So and tamoxifen. Just, um, yeah, tamoxifen. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I know some people have little side effects, but I am what is known as a walking side effect. If a side mm-hmm. effect can happen, <laughs> it will happen. Like if there's That's my new band name. Effects, <laughs> yeah, a walking side effect. Because if there's right. 40 known side effects, I'll get 50. And right. they'll be like, oh, we've never seen that one before. Well, now you have. Hmm. So, um, that's it's always fun to be first. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. My One of my oncology nurses looked at my hands when I was getting home, and she was what are those spots? I said, I don't know, they're not supposed to be there. And she said, well, I've never seen that before. 
Awesome. So write that down in your little book because that's another possible <laughs> side effect. Yeah. So what Problem. made you decide yeah. to have a uh, mastectomy versus a lumpectomy? Um, I just I wanted the most aggressive treatment I could get. My father died of cancer. My mother died of cancer. My grandfather died of cancer. My other grandfather had cancer, but he lived. So um, I just didn't. I, I wanted to be the one in my family that was going to beat it. Mm-hmm. And so I just decided to go as aggressive as possible. And I thought, well, you know, I'm young now. So if I do lump back to me now and, you know, for some, because uh, I'm unlucky, it comes back in five years, I'm five years older. Maybe I'm not as healthy. I can't really handle the mastectomy at that point. So I just figured that I would do the most aggressive treatment possible to lower my risk as much as possible for recurrence. Mm-hmm. And how did your, so you go to the doctor on Monday. Did you feel comfortable with your doctors, your oncologists, and... You know, did they talk to you about, you know, fertility treatments or what the, you know, long-term effects for fertility might be or where were you, you know, depending on where you were, you know, in life with potentially thinking about starting a family? How did that yeah, whole I, conversation I, go? I um I had had my tubes tied a couple of years prior, so that wasn't really an option anyway. Um, but I was tested for the uh, the gene mutation, the BRCA1 and 2 gene mutation, and I was negative for that. But if I was positive, I would have probably gone with, you know, had my ovaries removed as well. Mm-hmm. But um, my my doctor's office, because of my prior surgery, didn't really need to discuss that with me. But I will say that my oncologist was very frank about sexual side effects, which I, after going to the OMG summit, found out that pretty much no other oncologist talked about so um, I guess he he was really proactive because at least I kind of knew what I was getting into with that. Right? From my my understanding, a lot of oncologists don't even bring that up. Yeah. And if you bring it up, they're pretty uncomfortable about it. So I, yeah, I was lucky in that respect. Yeah, I guess if you have a blue-haired doctor, it kind of gives them the icks if you ask yeah, him about it. Yeah, my doctor's actually younger than me, so he's pretty hip and he, he, he understands, you know, where I'm coming from. So um, that was good. My plastic surgeon was amazing. Um, my breast surgeon was great. I was fortunate. I had a really, really good team of doctors. I trusted all of them. They were compassionate, knowledgeable. They all worked together really well, which I was kind of in an unusual situation because I didn't have any family. So I was getting, I got all my surgeries in South Florida where most of my friends were, but then I was getting my chemotherapy in Palm Bay where I live now, so fortunately my oncologist was really good about communicating everything to my doctors in South Florida, and they all kind of worked together really well with my treatment, which I appreciated. And where's life now? How has life changed since all this since all this has began? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, nobody told me that. Like, I thought there was basically two options when you got cancer. One was Unfortunately, you died from it, like my parents did, or the option of you get it, you get your treatment, and you get better, and you just kind of go on with your life. I didn't realize there was the third option of you get it, you get treatment, and then your treatment causes more problems. And so you have more things go wrong that, yeah, you don't have cancer anymore, but you have other issues, which is what I'm going through right now. So I was lucky in that I was able to work all through chemo, um, and I was running a summer camp, so... I don't know how. I, I think back now, and it was just a big blur. That whole summer was 
a blur. I, I you need a medal just for that. I, I, I don't even know how I even I did and I missed no days of work either, which is just amazing to me that I did it. And um, so this summer I'm running a summer camp having just had a partial knee replacement because my chemo caused necrosis of my knee. So um, that was another good thing about going to OMG was the session on late effects because I kind of realized I wasn't alone in that. There are a lot of people that had chemo or radiation that are having later effects in life that, you know, it's affecting them now like I have. So um, that was a really good session at the at the summit that I really enjoyed because I felt like I wasn't alone and I wasn't crazy in thinking, well, but I should be back to normal already. Treatment's over, but it's not often like that. Nancy, how did you find out about the OMG Cancer Summit? At my first, um, my first stupid cancer meetup in Jacksonville back in January, uh, Erica and Jason mentioned it, and I said, "Oh, that sounds really cool." So I registered right away, just thinking, you know, for some reason I couldn't get off from work or whatever, it would just be a donation. Um, but I ended up, my boss was more than happy to let me go, and uh, I I went, and it was amazing, life-changing, I would say. So so we have to give Jason and Erica, like, a, a Starbucks gift card or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for getting you down a rabbit hole here. Uh, how did you initially connect with them? I'm, I'm always interested in knowing whether the young adults or, or you know, in the actual hospital are people told about us or other organizations at all as part of their, you know, what's next or this might help you outside our walls? What was your experience with that? Wow. Well, I can tell you that um, my cancer center now has stupid cancer stuff because I brought it to them, and they, at least my oncologist, is more than happy to give it out, and he wears a stupid cancer button on his lab coat now because I gave it to him, and he's all about it. But um, before that, I had nothing but breast cancer support groups here where I live, and I'm not going to, you know, badmouth them at all. However, 60- and 70-year-old women have way different issues than I have. Yes. And so I just didn't feel comfortable there. I tried a few different ones. I never felt comfortable at any of them, and I was kind of at my wit's end. And um, I I was part of whatnext.com, another online cancer support group, and I was one of their blog moderators, and I was um, just kind of on the Internet one night late, probably, you know, 11, midnight, something like that, messing around, and I just typed in, you know, young adult cancer, and I found Stupid Cancer. I found the regional Facebook group, and it was by coincidence that they were having their inaugural Jacksonville meetup like two weeks later, and um, I live about two and a half hours from Jacksonville, and I drove to that meetup, and... Um, it was amazing, and I cried the whole way home. I was so happy that I found people who understood me. Very cool. And so you went to Vegas. You met all of us. We got I did. to see your. I we got to some. see your very fancy hair. <laughs> My yeah, it is different now. You know, it's different every time. But um, and I, Jared was able to go as well. He's from Florida also, and he was kind of wavering. And I was like, "Well, just stay in my room." And he's like, "Okay," because you know, it's it, it's expensive. I guess for for me, I mean, I have a good full time job. I mean, I'm way out of college. You know, I'm kind of on the outer realm of young adults. So I I was it wasn't really a financial burden for me. So I was able to help him out um, and let him stay in my room. So he was able to go as well. And 
I mean, both of us just were, like, in awe of the amazing experience that it was. And I do remember a blog and perhaps a tattoo that followed. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Well, I have, like, 20-something tattoos. And um, when Allie came out on the stage in that the GBL shirt, that Get Busy Living shirt, I said, you know, wow, it's so amazing. Like, I thought I was living. I mean, I do stuff. I'm not one of those people that sits around. I mean, if I want to go do something, I do it. And especially now, after cancer, I mean, a week after I finished chemo, I was in Chicago celebrating the end of chemo. So I do stuff, but not enough. I think now, after going to Vegas and meeting everybody else and seeing what they were doing, I was like, I am not really living. So, yeah, I um, I went to my tattoo artist with that Get Busy Living shirt, and I said, I need that. And I tattooed it on my foot. Very impressive. So, you win some kind of yeah. award. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. And I did, I wrote a, I wrote a blog about it. I have a blog, and I, I wrote an entry about the conference and um, how it affected me. And I had written an earlier entry just about stupid cancer in general after that first meetup. And um, in that entry, I said I I would have traveled to the ends of Earth to find at least one person who really got me and understood what I was going through. And when I went to Vegas, that's kind of how I felt, that I was kind of traveling to the ends of Earth, I mean, from East Coast all the way to West Coast. Um, And I ended up meeting, you know, like 450 people who got me and understood what I was going through, so it was totally worth it. And I just love your sense of humor. I mean, <laughs> Booby McBooberson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, and, and you know my, my Twitter handle is the Nibbleless Wonder. Yep. Hmm. What well, is yeah. your, oh, sorry, what is your, uh, what is the web address of your blog if people want to check it out? It is www.breastcancerbattlestars.net. BreastCancerBattleScars.net for all those out yeah. there listening. This is great. Um, you are the embodiment of why I started the organization, and and the angst of you not being given information, and the you jumped right on the opportunity to learn more and empower yourself, and you you made like friends for life in Vegas, and I assume you'll be a repeat offender next spring when we go back there. And that Absolutely. <laughs> you, you're, you're writing great uh, content on behalf of how you're getting busy living. It's really, I mean, I, I go, I wake up every morning and I pinch myself. I this is my job. I do this. I started this seven years ago, and here it is today. And uh, I can't thank you enough for doing what you do and being who you are, because it's every reason why I wake up every morning. Well, now you're gonna make me cry. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I I am just so lucky to have found a place where I belong. So, thank you. Well, we will see you on the Internet. Um, we'll see you as we promote our Florida group. Um, if I ever do come down to Florida, in, actually, I'll be in Miami in October. Maybe um, we could, like, rent scooters or something and, and meet each other Absolutely. in between. Yeah. I have a house in Miami, so, you know, if you need a place to stay, let me know. I think I'm on someone else's dime, but I, that's a definite uh, brain check because I, I do love to crash at people's places that I actually well, trust. Do you love college football? Because, you know, season tickets to FAU, which I'm I sure mean, you've Matt heard of. I mean, Matt doesn't. Yeah. But, um, Can you tell you know. him which, which ball that is? 
<laughs> yeah, is that What's the that is, shape is that the, the the little white one with the dimples? Oh wow. Um I majored in sports administration. So, uh, <laughs> you're my new best friend. I, I want to. That was yeah. I got my master's in yeah. that, so I am. I'm, I'm a in. Sports fanatic. Yeah. Annie Miami and sports. The, the sports Perhaps Season Maureen tickets. and I will come crash. <laughs> Season tickets we to Florida Atlantic. I mean, we're you know we're not like. Teller or anything. I think we won one game last season. But I mean, you're still you're still FBS. Feet, that's still a good team. Well, yeah, and my seats are on the 50 yard line, and they're in the club where we serve liquor, and um, there's like a buffet of food. And, oh, you're in the fancy yeah. club. Yeah, we're coming to that. Mm-hmm. I am. I am in I'm the in. fancy club. Yes, and we tailgate <laughs> for like four or five hours beforehand. So. Oh, oh, I don't. I don't know how to do in the south. It's good tailgating. Yeah, out you there. just tell me yeah. what time to get on the plane. I shall be there. Well, you know what? Go to FAUsports.com, look up our schedule, and you let me know which game you want to come to, and I will save you that ticket. We're actually doing that right now. Yes, they yeah. actually, believe <laughs> it, they actually are doing that. I'm going to skip the game and just go to Miami. Okay, fair enough. Well, Nancy. So you can do that as well. Thank you. I will be your tour guide. No, no, we're, that's, this is not a question of if. It's just a question of when. Mm-hmm. In fact, I yeah, think that just Expedia I... is getting overbooked right now. So. <laughs> I will be happy to tour you around Miami because there are places you definitely don't want to go. That is, I've been there, and I concur. Yes. Those well, are places I used to work, but that's the whole other That's the other life. interview that we can give at a later mm-hmm. date. Right. <laughs> well, good luck. God bless you. Keep in touch, and thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. Nancy Beth Galker, everyone. Thank you. Rockstar. All right, let's uh, head up the news here real quick. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty, Kenny, you're up. All right, Matthew. I feel like you might know this already. <laughs> but if you don't, you can head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something to be happening in your neck of those, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we have a bunch of meetups coming up in Raleigh, Denver, L.A., and Rochelle Park, New Jersey. Rochelle Park, New Jersey? Yes. Very nice. And uh, OMG East, I'm going to just throw this in here. You're throwing, you're throwing off my script. I'm throwing off your script. OMG East will be in New York on September 28th. Registration launches August 1st. Visit uh, east.omg2013.org and save the date for OMG 2014. The seventh annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, April 25, 6, and 7, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, omg2014.org. Matthew, the stupid cancer store, has scores of awesome products. We actually have brand-new three-quarter sleeve raglan uh, baseball jerseys like they wore in the movie The Sandlot. Uh, head on over to <laughs> stupidcancerstore.org. I'm glad I can make you snort. That's yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I'm, oh, you got it. All right, I'm going to go home now. All right. <laughs> All right, then finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums is your, is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers. I can't read this. Just like you, visit stupidcancerforums.org, and that is your Stupid Cancer News. <laughs> it's like... It's like you get home from school. What did you do today? Nothing. <laughs> what did you learn today? Nothing. All right. Well, now this is the time when we're going to be taking your calls, questions, comments. And we already have a few uh, people that uh, called in and asked a couple of questions. So I'm just going to read something here. 
And this is for all to respond to. By the way, I want to introduce, we have a special guest. He's been sitting here very quietly tonight, but he's, he's, uh, he's in town. I think you live here, actually, so you're not really in town. You, you live here. You're in the, no? Nope, I live uh, in Princeton. Well, that's kind of town. Close. Anything sure. sort of south of, I don't know, maybe Trenton. Yeah. It's yeah. the tri-state area. Yeah, yeah. Tri-state area. Yeah. Anyway, uh, David Powell, welcome to the Super Cancer Show. Thank you very much. Uh, you are the president of Marna's Pals, yep. which is, tell us. So Marna's Pals is a new young uh, startup that uh, helps students whose families have been affected by cancer through scholarships and peer groups on college campuses. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. That's very cool. Very exciting. We, we founded last January, and we've been giving away scholarships and uh, working with uh, some New Jersey schools to uh, start building some programming on campus. And what prompted this? So um, six years ago, my mother passed away from cancer. Um, my father, having passed away a couple years earlier, um, left sort of a void. Um, and living on campus at the time was very difficult. There were few resources. It was hard to get home to find services, to find connections, to find people uh, that were also struggling. And I went to Rutgers, and it's a very large place. So um, I was looking for a group a group of people to to help out, just to talk with, and there wasn't anything around. So um, when I graduated, um, I decided that it was time to give back to the community that had helped me so much, um, and I started this organization to, to do that exactly, to help with scholarships, um, and then now start building some community for these students on campus who, who can't get home or who can't find other people like them. That's pretty amazing. That's good stuff. Kudos to you. Thank you very much. You, how long did it take you to get your 501c3 in the IRS? Six months. That's Six not months. bad at all. Quick, yeah. Well, we got fairly quick. Yeah, we got really lucky. Uh, Senator Menendez's office helped out a little bit. Oh, okay. Pulled a some strength there. Yeah. Good. All right. Pulling a couple strings. It's always good to know the right people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations. How are you liking the studio here? I love it. It's a great, great huh? time. So, are you Kenny's friend? We met through We're the... Friends. Yeah, <laughs> we are recently friends. Kennyfriendfinder.com? Yeah, Rent-A-Ginger. I think he sent us an email probably yeah. a couple of months ago, maybe during the uh, the OMG craziness. Yeah, so I actually heard about OMG um, and uh, sort of and stupid cancer through a connection at the United Way in uh, Greater Mercer County. Um Jody Inverso mentioned to me that I should reach out and see what's going on here and how we can uh, sort of We're good collect. friends with Jody. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and do you cool. guys have an event coming up in August? Yeah, in August we have our first volleyball tournament. I was a volleyball player in high school and thought we'd give it a try. We're hosting a volleyball tournament in South Brunswick, New Jersey on August 4th. Um, we're looking for teams, individuals, uh, people who just want to come and check out what we're up to. Uh, we have a DJ and some nice giveaways. So it's going to be a really great time, and you can find out more information on our website, uh, www.marnaspals.com, M-A-R-N-A-S-P-A-L-S.com, slash volleyball. Well, that's pretty awesome. Very cool. Kudos to yeah. you. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thank you. Now go home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Jersey with you. All right. Well, we have a question here. And I'll just ask this. Of, I'll ask Maureen first. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm not ready for it. I'm too busy tweeting. What are some organizational lessons you have learned working for a nonprofit? And are there any regrets? Oh. Are there any regrets? <laughs> Live uh, on the air. Go I, ahead. I can fill up the, uh, oh, the latter part of that. Yeah. Okay. So organizational lessons that I've learned. At, well, I mean, 
we learn a lot on the fly here. It's kind of on, a, it's a bit of on the wire, fly-by-wire. So, yeah. so for those of you who know me or don't know me, I am pretty fresh out of college in 2012. So a lot of my learning has been done on the job, which has been really great. I mean, I was a business minor, but as anyone who's been to college knows, you don't really learn anything of relevance until you actually start working. Um, so, yeah, so lessons that I've learned have ranged from, like, budgeting and reporting to program planning. It's it's all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, broader, more philosophical lessons that I've learned. But Life lessons? But I'm, like, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. How about, uh, how about the before and after for OMG? Oh, my goodness. Before and after of OMG <laughs> was crazy. Um So, you know, but prior to that, I started in November of 2012, and so we were just kind of... I just got thrown into OMG planning. I had never been to an OMG summit. I hadn't been to a stupid cancer meetup. I had no idea what we, you know, like you had, what, an, you had an idea about what the organization. Yeah, uh, I knew about the organization, but you know, I didn't. I hadn't gotten to see this tangible event right. that we did, um, and it just it completely blew my mind. I mean, I was running around the entire weekend doing things, and then but whenever I got a moment to just like stop and like see what was happening, um, it just. You know, it really reinforced my decision to start working here and my dedication to our mission of serving young adults with cancer once I finally, you know, got to meet a lot of you guys in person. Um, but you have you have charity in your blood. You do a lot of other volunteer work, too. I do. I do. It's, it's chronic. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a Jesuit Catholic school, um, and they're all about service stuff. So I've been doing it since college, um, and I volunteer on the side in my free time with New York Cares, which is another great organization right. here. Um, so yeah, I love the nonprofit field. I love doing good in in the world. So so it's great to be here, doing some good here, and I do it in my spare time as well. And now, as we open up Pandora's box, Kenny, <laughs> <laughs> what do you say the the biggest lessons you've learned? I mean, you you and I've been doing this now for over three and a half years. Yeah. Um, besides yeah. tolerance and alcohol, what, what are the and the usefulness they they bring? Um, what would you say are the the toughest uh, lesson we've learned? I guess it, part of the biggest lesson is you never really know what people are going through when you encounter them, you know, whether it's people I meet through stupid cancer or just people in general. Uh, you just really never know, you know, these invisible diseases that you can't see at the surface level, um, which range from cancer to lupus and, and you know, whatever else is, is uh, affecting people. But I think I, I have an appreciation for... Uh, possibly human interaction that doesn't always go well the the first time around and maybe that uh you know the person was going through something uh other lessons have included uh tolerating you uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is an ongoing uh tragedy of, of of comedy it is it is uh for sure uh i i think i have uh i don't know there's so many things i could say i could do a show on this uh just this one question. Yeah. <laughs> what other questions do you have, or do you want to hear from Annie? Well, I mean, Annie, you've been doing the show for a little while now. Yeah. Uh, this is this is not the first nonprofit you've been involved with. We've been. No. You introduced me to several that you've been involved with, like yeah. Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. So, I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, a year and a half ago now, and one of the first I was I found out pretty early on in my diagnosis that I had triple negative breast cancer, which as many people. No, from hearing about it, it's very connected to uh, young age and being aggressive and the uh, 
executive director of the of Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation at the time, Lori Redmer, reached out to me right away. She wrote me a handwritten letter saying that she had heard about me and wanted to get to know me better. And my and uh, I got really involved with them and was in chemotherapy and I was on the benefit committee and I was basically sitting at home on disability from work, chilling out and like emailing companies and soliciting donations and uh, met some really incredible people and I truly love the organization. The benefit is an amazing event and, you know, done grassroots fundraising for them and it's a very special organization to me just because of how much they've helped me and they, how much they, you know, do fundraising for uh, different clinical trials and they raise money for lower income hospitals and patient navigation and all kinds of, you know, very special projects that they do like that. And um, I truly love them. And uh, also, I also was introduced uh, pretty early in my diagnosis. I share a doctor with Jennifer Moorsdorf. Ah, yes, from the Young Survival Coalition. So my oncologist is very hooked in to YSC. So I uh, learned that's how, you know, I learned about stupid cancer because you guys partner with a lot of different things. I was on the email list for YSC, and then I got invited to OMG East and met all you guys. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot being here. It's very isolating having cancer, but then you meet other people who have it, and you also take a step back from like the woe is me it's very easy to fall down that road when you're feeling crappy and you're bald and have weird boobs and all kinds of other fun things that come along with having cancer and it helps you appreciate what you have having good health insurance having a job having parents who can help me deal with this and family members and access to the best doctors in the world it made me truly appreciate what I have rather than you know, be a brat and want to feel bad for myself. It made me, you know, I always had a relatively positive outlook, but at the same time, you're pissed that this happened to you. Yeah. And um, it helped me, like, truly appreciate how lucky I am and, you know, also know that I'm not alone and the side effects and the crappy feelings and being scared and everything. So that's what I've learned from stupid cancer. Here's a question. Um MC, you didn't tell us what you learned from Super. Oh, Kansas, uh, so I like to hear that. Oh you. God, don't start a charity. <laughs> That's not nice. Sorry, <laughs> with this guy in the room. <laughs> a little too late for that. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No lesson. Lessons learned would be, um, well, I mean, stupid cancer is is a consequence. It it was never intended to be what it is. It just happened to become that way, because I had no idea what I was doing for about six years before I started it. And it filled a need that no other nonprofit in the country was serving. Ironically, I thought I was doing something that would help augment what other organizations were doing. It wound up doing that also. But at the at the end of the day, um, having no plan was the plan. So the lesson, I really, everything is a teachable moment. That, that's my lesson. The lesson is everything is a teachable moment. And uh, there are no, I say this all the time, there are no uh, bad decisions. There were just, I'm sorry, there are no wrong decisions. There are just good and bad decisions. And you have to be accountable for everything that you choose to do. That's my lesson learned. But here's a question here, and this is a tough one. How do we deal with death? How do we deal with dying? We have people, we lose people all the time. It's not something we readily talk about. 
Um, but it is something we do have to deal with, and we have to memorialize and recognize people. Uh, my quick answer is I've developed a really thick skin. I've had to. I've had death in my family. I've had my, my wife's brother-in-law, my my grandfather, my, my mother's best friend, my aunt. Um, my cousin right now is dealing with brain cancer. Um, and people that I work with uh, on an everyday basis are, are living with through and beyond cancer. So I've just had to develop a really thick skin. And, and honestly, that's one of the nicest things my brother ever said to me was that sometimes even rocks need rocks. So I can be the rock, and when I need a rock, I'll go somewhere else. But I don't want to need that rock as, as often as I think. So that's just a very honest answer. It's a tough question. Kenny? Didn't I already answer this one? No. What was the question? Um, how old were you when you first lost your... Never mind. Um, Yikes. <laughs> oh, goodness. I was, I was going to go with lollipops. Yeah, I'm really glad you didn't finish the question. Yeah, that's Please okay. <laughs> no, how do you deal with death, losing people? Uh, well, I always tell a story about Chad Whitman, who was the individual who greeted me on my first day of my internship for the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, which is now Stupid Cancer. And he was dancing to techno music, and he greeted me as Hey Cutie. So he made a really uh, vibrant first impression, and he was one of the people who uh, had, uh, you know, made me feel welcome, and then uh, he had left New York City to go back to Arizona to pursue a nursing degree, and during that time he relapsed. I forget what his original cancer was, but I believe he got a uh, uh, metastatic brain tumor post, uh, you know, leaving New York City, going back to Arizona, as I mentioned, and he actually passed away by stroking out in front of a hospital smoking a cigarette, and I always say that he was the first person that I really lost on on my my watch, um, start to finish, you know, watching him go through the uh, through the battle, and it, you know, I always, you know, I think of him from time to time, and you know, it was a valuable lesson. And one of the things my background prior to this was working in a pharmacy for eight years, and I did see people come through and unfortunately pass away. So I did have a certain amount of understanding of what I was getting myself into, but it doesn't get easier. It just, you know, like you said. You just grow a thick skin, and uh, you try to translate the sadness and the negativity into, uh, you know, making you work harder and, and, you know, recommitting yourself to the cause. Well, actually, that dovetails into the other question that Melinda just asked, which is, what are some of our favorite OMG memories? And honestly, one of them is Chad Whitman for me. I miss that guy more than life itself, and he really changed the organization. This was the gayest guy I've ever known in the best possible sense of the word. He was he was RuPaul. He was with melanoma and a bald head and tattoos all over his body and he was just just did shit he, awesome. What did he have the avatar tattoos? He had like a, a mohawk tattoo. Yeah, he had a mohawk tattoo. And it was blue. It was <laughs> it, it wasn't even like it was a, a a wannabe hair strip. It was He was just an amazing human being. Uh we miss him terribly. And he he passed away so randomly. Like we found out like one day out of nowhere. He had moved back to New Mexico. Where his, he was he was lived, Arizona or New Mexico? No, it was in Mexico. Okay. His parents were like farmers in New Mexico. Like he literally came out of like this very rural, like just nowhere. Like like whether your your mailing address is like you know rural access road this that the other thing, and he he went back there to just get treatments again because his melanoma spread to his brain. He didn't tell anybody. And he just went back there, and then he just died. It was the most random thing ever. 
You know, I never saw. I mean, maybe it might have been easier that way because we didn't have to like watch it get bad. It just kind of happened. But one of my favorite moments of all time is 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 uh, just hanging out with Chad Whitman. Kenny, how about? Well, I think the question was for OMG specifically. Um, my question. OMG memories. My yeah. favorite OMG moment. Uh, I think there's, been, there's different tiers because every year has been just so much more substantial than the, the year prior. It was definitely interesting being a intern, newly hired, filling in for a speaker on the social media panel at OMG 2010. No one knowing who the hell I was. I didn't know anyone, and uh, suddenly here I am, you know, up on stage with you and the uh, with Adam. Osho. With your little clean shaven yeah, face. Yeah, I, I hadn't mm-hmm. I hadn't adopted my full time beard yet. Uh, it was only a seasonal beard. And, uh, you know, since then, I would say that OMG 2011, we had the booze cruise, which was more like the uh, monsoon sideways rain that almost, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, capsized the boat of of, uh, 275 cancer survivors dancing. I think the best part of that was that the rain kept everyone inside and on the dance floor. Yes. So when you combine 275 cancer survivors with open bar, with rain, New York City skyline, behind it. It was it was really incredible. And then of course the stupid cancer road trips have been eye opening in many ways just from the connections that we make when we're out there on the road. Seeing the disparities between a city like New York City where people get great treatment and you go to a place like, you know, Memphis or uh you know, one of these cities that are kind of in the middle and uh you know, you, you see what people go through and, and more of the socioeconomic uh things that take place. So definitely uh, the opportunity to get out and do some domestic travel and and uh, connecting. Well, here's here's a question. The caller that called in before her general uh, general question was, "What can we do to prevent cancer better?" Which I think is a very generic wow. question to ask. Um, you know, but I I think it's a very complicated answer. Mm-hmm. It it depends on your definition of prevention. Mm-hmm. It depends on your your understanding of how disease occurs. Depends um, on the disease you have. Yes, it depends on your predisposition for disease. It, it's a huge uh, cornucopia yeah. of 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 ridiculous. Cuz also Matthew, you and I didn't particularly have preventable cancers. Right. Like you were born with it. Yes. I was born with a genetic I was born with BRCA1 mutation and um one of the things that's really frustrating is the Angelina Jolie coming out blah blah the androgene takes I think she's done a lot of great things but also kind of takes away from you know the people who suffer and things like that. But I think one of the things we could do is to know your family history. Yes. So I was the first one in my family to have the BRCA1 mutation and have it manifest into cancer. It runs on my father's side. My father was an only child, blah, blah, blah. There wasn't extended family to figure it out. So the best thing coming from my point of view is to know your family history um, and to know your family genetics. I had Mine really wasn't preventable. There was nothing I could have done differently in my lifestyle that would have changed whether or not I got cancer. I didn't like eat too much soy. I didn't. It wasn't from like birth control pills. It wasn't from the water and soil on Long Island. It was simply a bad gene. And you know, a lot of people are also diagnosed the same way as I am. And some people are diagnosed later, earlier, blah blah. And the question comes in about removing body parts, and people have a lot of opinions on that. 
So I think the best thing, especially, is, you know, for someone who might be like me and be clueless is to know your family history. I, you know, I'm Ashkenazi Jewish, which automatically puts me at a slightly higher risk for having the mutation. And if you suspect that you might, you know, this might run in your family, if you have a first degree family member who's had ovarian or breast cancer, perhaps you want to get the blood test, especially now with the Supreme Court ruling that you can't patent genes. Hopefully this will make the test much more accessible to people and cover it by insurance. So that would be my advice is to pay close attention to your family history and, you know, just do the best you can, live as healthy a lifestyle as you can, you know, and know that even that there it's not your fault. And that's like something that a lot of young adults deal with too is the blaming themselves for a lifestyle. Well, that's the thing is that it, cancer doesn't happen naturally mm-hmm. until you're like old. It, mm-hmm. it is a, a biological disease of the aged. That is a scientific fact. So why do people under 50 get cancer when it is not the natural course of, of progression, biological aging and progression? And the answer is they're either predisposed to getting it and something triggers that predisposition to make it happy and bug you and get mm-hmm. in the way of things. Or you did do it to yourself by accidentally living in an area with high electronic power lines or a cancer worshiping the sun. Or a cancer cluster where like some biotech, you know, company dumped their toxic waste in your landfill. Um, you know, there are things you can be aware of, there are things you can't be aware of. So this idea of prevention is really in the mind's eye. Mm-hmm. It's and more about risk reduction. Maureen, sorry. Yeah, I just think it's also important to consider our show a couple weeks ago on the Toxic Substance Control Act, um, which, you know, we, we learned just a couple weeks ago that there are toxic, untested substances in everything that we interact with. So it's it's not even a matter of living somewhere better or lowering your power lines. It's a matter of owning a couch sometimes. Yes. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Or driving a car. Yeah, ridiculous things that are completely unavoidable. Um, so it's just when we say, like, you did it to yourself, it's not that you did, you know, it's, it's that society has done this to right. us and the modern stuff civilization that we put in our food like yeah. all of this all of these things that we have created without really thinking about the consequences of them right exactly. and i know it sounds really terrible but i um worship tanning beds when i was in college i know what's coming it's coming a little delayed oh. yeah you need to get a little fast on that yeah. yeah i was uh, i'm super Caucasian, like they could probably create a new race for how pale I am. And you and my daughter would go yeah, in the same it's, category. It's bad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's called Jew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I lived in tanning beds. I was so dark in college. It is embarrassing to see pictures because I'm like white teeth and tan and eyeballs. <laughs> and I'm like the tan mom. And I always thought, like, I'm totally going to get skin cancer. And then, haha, joke's on me. But now I know I'm at higher risk for skin cancer, so I'm very, very careful. But, um, you know, just live the healthiest lifestyle you can. You shouldn't not, you know, we, our whole motto is get busy living. You shouldn't also not live. Right. My, my father, I don't know if my dad's in the chat room tonight, but my, he is. His favorite person in history is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill drank and smoked and gambled and philandered and ate nothing but crap. And he died in perfect health at 97 years old. Mm-hmm. But great, yet, great genetic. Yeah. 
it's all in the genes, mm-hmm. right? All that, can you imagine all that tar and flak and air pollution they breathed in in London during the bombings, all that stuff contaminating everyone that lives there. It's like 9-11 every day. And like red meat and yeah. whiskey and good God knows, cigars, good God. Like who knows what it's else? a whole new ecosystem of filth in his body. Yeah. <laughs> it all balances itself out <laughs> in some weird way. But, Kenny, you like to joke that you're precancerous, but you live an interesting lifestyle sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you suggesting I philander, drink, smoke? And <laughs> yeah. No, I would say that if anything, uh, and this speaks to our entire generation, is that we are the generation of fast food. And what are the consequences of that? And what, you know, the microwaved meals that are probably recent uh, or, or in more of an abundance in the past 20 years, 25 years, uh, you know, who knows what it's going to do in the next 10 or 20 years? Well, we have a caller. Ooh, welcome. And uh, we're going to welcome their caller. Uh, let's see who we are. Let's plug this in. And uh, hello, you're on the air. Oh, really? Awesome. Who are we talking to? Um, this is Ben. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. What can we help you with tonight? Um, so I would like to know what the growth projection of the organization is from a management perspective. Ooh, wow. That's are you a donor? Um, I'm Are you a funder? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's it's a lengthy conversation. Maybe not something that's as simple to answer on the air tonight. But we do have a strategic plan, which is something okay. I would encourage every for-profit and non-profit organization to have in place with budget projections and a pipeline strategy for uh, you know, for um, innovation and iteration. Uh, we have all that, and I would say the trajectory is we tripled our revenue from 2011 to 2012. We're going to probably level out this year because it was kind of a fluke, and now we have yeah. a better staging ground to plan for the next three to five years uh, of growth. There are numerous things in our pipeline, which I'd be happy to share with you off the air because some of them are under non-disclosure, which I also recommend right. every for-profit and non-profit have a non-disclosure policy to protect your assets. Um but uh, we, the staff went from one to two to five, and we'll be bringing on a part-time sixth person in the fall. Um, and uh, we have an actual budget, and we have real projections, and it's it's exciting to be here. Yeah, and obviously all that translates into more programming, more local events, more uh, support online and offline, and just it's kind of like every time the uh, – the pyramid gets bigger. You throw a layer on the bottom of it. Very that cool. makes sense. Was that too vague? I'm sorry. No, it was perfect. So uh, how did you find out about us? Um, my sister's actually a donor. And a oh, okay. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, thank yeah. you very much for calling. Is there any, anything else we can help you with? No, you've been great. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks thank for calling, Ben. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. We got uh, one more question here. If you had a fairy godmother grant you one wish related to young adult cancer, what would it be? The obvious answer being a cure. But that, again, is also... All right, Maureen. Right, so assuming that we don't get that one, (laughs) um, I guess it would be uh, a broader societal understanding, just just a broader understanding that young adults do get cancer. Um, Just, you know, so many people come to our organization and talk about how their friends and family were just so startled because they were, as our former name says, too young to get cancer. 
Um, so I think just a broader understanding that it does exist so that, you know, we can, you know, work as a society if we can't cure it or if it takes longer to cure to deal with the effects and to deal with, you know, the fertility and all of the the issues that arise that young adults don't hear about because it seems so super rare when they're diagnosed. I think mine would be, and this is personal, and also I know every young person who's ever had cancer has dealt with the same thing, is to almost educate people of how to talk to people, to young adults with cancer, whether it be doctors, whether it be other people at the doctor. There's probably nothing worse than being stared at by other patients, especially when you're hooked up to an IV. It is very frustrating to be, you know, stared at with that sad puppy dog look in people's eyes. So that also dovetails off what Maureen says is, you know, the understanding of how to act and treat people like normal human beings, whether they're just diagnosed or in treatment or past treatment. It's it's a very, you know, it's a tough road, and it would be awesome if, like, everybody knew how to treat us like human beings. That's all. Well, I go back to my statement that a person is smart and the average person, and that people tend to be stupid uh, in, the, in, the, in the truest sense that, just looking at the bell curve, the average American is, you know, like a B student, which is fine, but it's hard to get everyone to understand everything you think they need to understand. We have enough trouble getting, there are still like 30% of Americans that don't use seatbelts. It's 2013, and there are still 30% of Americans that don't use seatbelts. Okay, how do you expect to get over that hurdle to get them to stop destigmatizing, you know, cancer and understanding that? So, and this isn't about being limited to where you live and your economic, you know, every, nearly everyone has a car or, or everyone that does have a car truly has to buckle their seatbelts and we can't get them to do that. So anyway, just my cynical, um, anyway, so what was I saying? My brain, a, my brain just melted. Do we have a caller? We have a caller. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. One, two, three. Caller, you're on the air. Hey. Matt, Hi there, Sproul. Hey, Sproul, how are you? Good. How are you doing? It's great to have you calling in. This is uh, Sproul Braden, one of our Team Stupid Cancer Marathon runners. <laughs> glad, Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Out. Hey, uh, Matt, I, I wanted to know. I, I mean, I'm trying to help out whatever way I can, and um, you know, I, I really appreciate your cause. To be honest, I, I mean, my, my great grandmother died of cancer. And I've had a few cancer causes in my family, but, you know, nothing in the same realm of stupid cancer. But I want to know, what are the best ways to get involved? How how can I better, you know, I guess propagate the message and, and help you guys out more? Because, to be honest, I'm, I'm really super excited to know about what you guys are doing, and I want to try to, you know, I guess spread the word a bit more. Yeah, that's a great question. We were actually just discussing this as part of our strategic planning uh, meeting last weekend, we get a lot. We're at, we're at like a scale now where we get a lot of people asking, "What can I do?" And what we used to be able to tell them doesn't really cut the mustard anymore because there's so much more that we're, we're we have capacity for them to do. So we're actually in this conversation right now. What are the top ten things we can tell people when they ask, "What can I do?" That scales based on their ability to do it, and. The number one thing that we came up with initially as a, as a general idea, and I'll have uh, Kenny Marine articulate this more because I'm getting tired 
uh, because I was up at five in the morning with my kids, is is we want to create almost like a Salesforce model of volunteers who are in charge of, of quality assurance at cancer centers to make sure that our literature is on display, that nurses wear our lapel pins, that they're made aware that we exist, that they're part of local regions and meetups, and if they have support groups, they know about us. If there's some way to build a level of compliance and best practices to, to, for assurances that any patients at these clinics and their caregivers are cradled in the young adult cancer movement thanks to a volunteer. All right, the layman's term version yes. of that hmm. is the uh, the idea that obviously we cannot go to each and every one of the what is it 5,800 yes. cancer centers in this country. Yeah. Basically, it's it's that you are a survivor currently in treatment. You want to do right by the uh, peers that are in your cancer center who you may or may not know. Whether you go on Mondays, they might go on Tuesdays. Basically, how to connect you know, all the dots and, and make sure that everybody knows about stupid cancer and what's going on locally and that everyone's speaking the same language in terms of uh, the resources that are out there for young adults so that the next them doesn't have to go through the crap that they went through before they were there to ensure that this uh, information was out there. How's that sound, Maureen? That sounds great. And I think just in terms of other ways that you want to get involved, as we as we were saying, we're looking for... You know, we're always looking for volunteers that have, like, good skills that they can offer in terms of, like, PR and planning and things like that. Um, but even on a local level, I think one of the thing, one of the ways that a lot of people get involved, including Nancy, who we spoke to just earlier today, is by getting involved regionally and in your local area. We have 12, 12 regional Facebook groups now yeah. um, all over the country. Um, and as Kenny says, every show we are always scheduling local events and if you want to bring together more young adults affected by cancer in your area just start to do it and one way is to you know start in these regional groups where surely there's probably one or two people from your general area already there um, and then start connecting with your cancer center tell them to recommend local events that will help you advertise them um, and just really you know get that connection going on a local level because we know that not everyone can fly out to Vegas but it is it, it is possible to find support locally, um, and so that's just one additional way. Right, and Sproul, it also depends on what how, how people want to engage. Some people want to host fundraisers. Some people want to run on our marathon team. Some people want to, would want to go back to their cancer center and sort of set them straight that they should have our materials. Some people want to come to our events and, and, and basically, or host events and meetups that don't cost money and are just really fun things to do. So this is kind of what we're working with now with this whole brainstorming. What do we tell people that say exactly what you asked, which is, I want to help, what can I do? Great. And, and to be honest, you know, we, there's a lot of different fundraisers in my area, especially I'm, I'm in Stanford, Connecticut area. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things with like the Bennett Cancer Center. And, and, you know, I don't know if you guys license your name out to other fundraisers, but I'd like to get on the, you know, the ballot, uh, at least out there, get, get the, the name out at least and see what, what else we can try to, you know, do something for publicity, I guess. Well, thank you very much for calling into the show. All right. Appreciate it. Take care, Spool. All right. Take care, Matt. Bye. Okay. So maybe one more question? Crickets? We're having a lot of fun. Yeah? I'm having fun. How about one more question? Kenny, make up a question. <laughs> make up a question. Oh, where do you see the organization in five years? 
It's like a job interview. Exactly. Rio. <laughs> Rio. <laughs> no, Kenny would say San Diego. Yes. Or uh, or where else are you wanted to move to? Everywhere. Myrtle Beach Everywhere. and and uh, Nashville. In yep. Northeast Ohio, what a great place. <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to see Stupid Cancer uh, become uh, a social tech agency of sorts. We're going to still do our mission. I like to say we, we, we have the plant. The plant is doing a great job. We're going to keep watering the plant. But as a brand, we have to keep thinking from an innovation perspective. And what can we be doing that the industry can't do without us and that we can't do without the industry that will fill gaps and not reinvent the wheel? Dumb, dumb it down. Dumb it down? Yes. What are you talking about when you say the agency and... We want to represent an entire generation so of acting, Americans. Acting on behalf of young adult cancer survivors. Which is what, yes. Yeah. See, Kenny's my translator. You're my Google mm-hmm. translator. Yes. Uh, I think we can have um, awareness driven into all the cancer centers in three to five years. We can build standards by which nurses and social workers can abide by to make sure that they are giving their patients who are young adults the right information. And I think we could provide the people that come to the organization with immediate access to exactly what they're looking for. How's that? Perfect. Okay. Maureen's giving me grammatic corrections. <laughs> Live in our own mm-hmm. private chat here. No, I like it. I need it. This is this is why we have a, a team, and it's not just me doing the show. Did you know that when I first started the show, I wrote a large monologue. I wrote like a five-minute tirade every show for two years. Wow. Because I had to fill time. Those little soliloquies. It was li- I li- have them all. It was amazing. I literally mm-hmm. every week had to write a rant that got the show off the ground for the first two years. That's like 130 shows. It's funny how that archive got deleted. What? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Anyway, um, I think, uh, oh, my my wife has one more question, which is, when is my next vacation day? Exactly. (laughs) That's up to you. That is exactly. See you in 2015. We'll talk to our HR department about that. Well, this has been an interesting social experiment. Indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Should we prepare to activate? Prepare to activate. Thank you to All everyone right. who All called in. All right, thanks Thank for our you. calls in. Um, and uh, we will be in touch next week. Here we go. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's our show, number 272. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking you sick of stupid cancer. We'd like to thank Nancy Galker and all of our callers and contributors to tonight's open mic night here on the Stupid Cancer Show. And on next week, we're going to focus on the Tomorrow Lab for Humanity, an exciting new program of the Wiseman Institute of Science. Join Blair Cobb, Susan Schultz, and Claudia, Ch- Claudia Champ for an epic roundtable discussion about their vision for a better world. Alrighty, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodman, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night.
Bring the hot. 